Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast. Where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. What's good with you, man? Everything. Going good. It's yeah. been a good uh, thing so far. Uh, partied last night, you know. <laughs> when did you get in? Uh, got in around one. I drove, though, because I only live three hours away. Yeah. So um, hung out with Easton. And uh, where did we go? Went to the Fearless Develop thing. That was fun. Oh, developed through a party with Fearless? No, they just met up at a bar. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Everybody just met up at a bar. We're doing meetups now, as opposed to like hosting events. It's expensive. Yeah. You know, um, and then they kind of you know have to jack with like we're having our party, but there's like a guest list, and I got to turn it into security, and then you want to kind of like invite people last minute, and it just becomes a pain in the butt. Yeah. Are you doing a party this year? Yeah. Oh yeah. Where are we meeting? When? <laughs> Tuesday night. Yeah. So um, the thing is that last year we had a little bit more funding for guests because it was. The hotel charges us per guest because mm-hmm. um, we had Fuji, um, but now we don't this year. It's just me and Easton paying for it. Yeah. So we did not extend our invite to Breakfast Club because none of them are going to buy. Well, not none of them. Most of them are already blacksmith customers, <laughs> um, but they're not looking to necessarily. Anyone who I think is in the market to switch has already switched. Yeah. Um, and I don't know many who are in the market to take Easton's course who haven't already taken it. So, so you guys are collaborating on that? On well, your- I mean, we're here for business. We're here to get customers and network with our current client base and have them, hey, you know, here's a party for customers. Invite your friend, you know. We have products out and he's and got a special- And you had a magician last year. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was good. So, um, but yeah, my, my version of it is half sales, half uh, customer appreciation party. And it's the same for him. So, but um, sometimes people will just, uh, you know, where's the party at? You know? So a bunch of people just want to come to the party randomly and bring two, three friends with them. And it's like, gets real expensive. Last, I mean, last year it was 6000 So it's not cheap. So what's on the agenda for this trip then? You just... Um, I mean... A little bit of everything. Like I, I have already gotten to meet four or five customers who have been customers for at least the last seven months to a year. Um, some uh, who've been customers for two years, who we've never met in person. We've just mm-hmm. talked on the phone, and they got books from us, and then switched over, and now they buy all their stuff, and we we chat, but we've never met. Um, so one of those is a studio in uh, New Jersey, Morby Photography. And, like, I always say that, like, our best our customers are kind of these, like, sleeping giants. Like, they don't speak. They're not out there trying to get their name all blown up. But they're doing 120 weddings. And they're crushing it. They have a whole team of seven here. Mm-hmm. You know, their editor, their IPS person, their studio manager, their associate shooters, you know. So um, those are our favorite clients to work with because, you know, they're focused on running a business and selling products. And not necessarily 
how do I grow to the next level of Instagram followers and speaking events. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like two completely separate bears. Like, are you trying to be present to the photography community or mm-hmm. are you trying to be present to your local environment where you're trying to, you know, win? You can have our, my buddy Chris doesn't really do much in terms of like a national thing, but manages a massive photography business back in uh, back in Michigan where they're doing, I think, 400 events per year. Mm, you know, so he's sleeping giant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we got an introduction to make <laughs> for you. So, so yeah. this, there's one good thing to come from you spending spending some time with us. Oh no, man! I just like hanging out with you guys. Yeah. So. I guess we should preface a little bit about talk a little bit about your your business because I feel like people don't sure. find you conventionally. I think you find people. That's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So the problem is, um, I built I photographed weddings for 13 years, and I went, "What is missing?" for the established studio who's ordering a good amount of albums. What I found was, unless you were like a speaker ambassador, your company didn't know who you were. You could be ordering 30 bucks a year at 500 bucks a pop, 15,000 bucks, and you're calling customer service saying, hi, this is Sally, what's your customer service number? Or, or your mm-hmm. your uh, account number. Yeah. Um, and then if there was any issues, there wasn't really someone there to kind of really take care of you the way a $15,000 a year client should be taken care of because uh, they don't know the difference between who's spending $200 and who's spending twenty grand, right? Um, and then the other thing was just like really confusing pricing and uh, I felt like after the digital revolution <clears throat> happened like 2006, 2007 um, and digital just really swarmed the market like a lot of the quality went down because it was getting harder for people to sell print and so kind of the race to the bottom in terms of price and turnaround time. You know, now we, we live in an age where you can get a 12 by 12 for $99 and have it turned around in two business days. Um, obviously that book is a pile of garbage, but you know, there's a ton of people that they came in during that time. And mm-hmm. so um, we knew that we didn't, you know, we can't fight the giants that do 200 million a year. Yeah. Um, I was just talking to someone who'd worked at one of the bigger labs for the last 23 years. And I said, you know, I know you guys are big. I know you have 400 employees. I know you have a 180,000 square foot facility. How many packages do you ship a day? She's like, well, it's hard to say. I'm like, ballpark. And she's like, around 6,000. Oh my gosh. Holy cow. And I'm like, yeah, that's a lot. That's like, I can imagine the quality control for that many albums going out. <laughs> pieces of well, art, you got to stop for 400 though. Yeah. Right? So, that's the thing is that, you know, they, I'm not saying that, you know, they don't care about their business or whatever. Or they're just pumping out crap. It's not Shutterfly, you know. The labs here are good labs and they're established by people who know what they're doing. But they are competing for 80 to 90 percent of the market, which is brand new photographers, you know, looking to get products at a low price point so they can enter the market. Um, so anyways, I said, OK, well, what's the goal of a wedding photographer? Well, it's definitely not to shoot 100 weddings a year at. 1200 bucks. It's a lot more likely that you'd rather shoot 20 weddings a year at, you know, 10 grand, 15 grand a pop, right? That's what everybody mm-hmm. wants. But then what are you going to give your clients for that, right? Way better service, all this stuff. Not one company exists outside of ours that says you have to buy a certain amount of products a year to be a client. So just like your clients have to spend a certain amount of money with you, our clients have to spend a certain amount of money with us. 
We don't do that by making the products expensive. We do it by saying you've got to have a certain amount of volume. Mm-hmm. And then what us allows us to do is really genuinely focus e- on each one of those individual high-end accounts um, and then serve them in a completely different way. Someone could you know, mess up a cover, spell a name wrong, and we'll replace it for free because they're a $20,000 client. Yeah. Like, of course, we'll place that no problem. And that's just service they're not going to get at a lab that's never going to know their name unless they end up speaking at WPPI. Yeah. I think you've really turned the model around on its head as far as like where, where people are choosing their printers. I feel like you're a printer mm-hmm. choosing your people. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that I'm curious if that could even apply to like other areas of our industry, like where, where you see. I don't know if I've ever seen that in other, other areas of our industry. but Not really. No, it's definitely unique. Yeah. I always, I always you know, we ramp up production to meet demand. But if I sell too much, then it causes problems in the shop because a lot of people are like, like, what's the day-to-day? I'm like, day-to-day I'm running a print manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. You know, paper, leather suppliers, ordering inventory, uh, you know, purchasing new equipment, having equipment serviced. You know, it's a manufacturing shop, you know, and that's what we do day in, day out. But once I get on the phone and we start, you know, accepting new clients because we do close down onboarding usually about half the year and uh you know we could ramp up pretty quickly but i'll just kind of hunt people down and say hey man i don't know who you're with right now but we'd love the opportunity to get your business and um i think ar product is substantially better than what you're getting now and i think you'll be blown away but not only the quality but the service and here's 30 other people that use us that if you want to get a hold of them and ask them we'll tell you that and they go yeah, I mean, I've seen your books. Like, maybe you can tell the people who are listening what are what's the difference between one of your books and the next closest competitor who is more high volume. Sure, like my next closest competitor. I mean, like I, I guess, or just like, like the field, a, the general, a, a general field. feel like maybe a book. Like, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to name names or like just say a big lab. Yeah, a big lab. Okay. Yeah, like somebody. So I would say generally the big labs for the majority use uh, an automatic album making machine. Um, and it, the the substrates that go in between those prints that give the the thickness of the mm-hmm. page um, those are on a giant roll, right? And so, how could something that's hard be on a roll? Well, I can't. You mm-hmm. can't take a stick and roll it up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, there's not a lot of structure there, and so they're foam. That's ba- a foam based product, mm-hmm. and it's it's stored curled. And the closer you get to the circle, oh, yeah. the more curled those pages have sat in storage for however long since they were manufactured. And so the machine makes it and then they bake it and then put it into a press that flattens it out and it cools down flat. But when that product gets hot again, it's going to warp. It's going to want to go back to the shape that it was manufactured and stored mm-hmm. in, right? And the reason that it's more likely to do that is because of its foam structure um, is absorbing humidity more because there's it's foam. Yeah. You know, um, your mid-level companies, a lot of them are using a paper-based substrate, you know. And so it's manufactured flat and it's stored flat, um, but it still has a lot of humidity absorption. And they'll store their... Um, substrates and humidity controlled rooms in their warehouse so that the product 
uh, substrates don't warp while they're still in the shop. However, your client is not going to store that album in a humidity-controlled room, mm-hmm. right? Um, ours is a closed-cell PVC product, um, and so um, that closed-cell structure of the plastic um, does not allow for as much heat and humidity to change the, the integrity of the the structure itself. So is that also made on a put on a roll as well? And then no. okay, so it's only, no, so only created flat. Just like paper, same thing. It's manufactured flat. It's cut flat, stored flat. Um, and so it has no curl shape to go back to. There's no memory there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in addition to that, because it's not paper-based, it's plastic-based, um, it's not going to absorb, you know, if I've got a perfect example, paper straws, right? They start to fall apart almost the second you put them in a drink. Mm-hmm. It's because that water's sucking up into that paper. Plastic straw, you don't have that problem, right? And so when the thing that's, causing the book to warp is the humidity, um, then you need to, the substrate to be something that doesn't absorb humidity. It's that simple. In this process, then, once you have that substrate, then is it a direct print to that substrate, or is there another, you pay, print out a paper that is then applied to substrate? Yeah, or? so what everybody does is you make your prints, and then you score your prints, and then those prints are either stacked by hand or by machine. Um, and it goes print, substrate, print, substrate, print, substrate, and so the block is finished. And then you put the wings on both sides, which connect the block to the cover. Um, and that would be another point of contention for us is that people don't put a substrate in between their wing. Um, people don't put leather down the spine to increase the spine uh, integrity. Um, people don't use masonite for the cover board. They use uh, chipboard, which is basically particle board for wood, but for paper. And then they cover it in glue, and they put glue against that particle board, and it immediately starts to delaminate internally. And so bigger labs, you take the cover apart, and the whole thing will just kind of fall apart. Fall apart. Yeah. So ours is made out of construction-grade masonite, same stuff they use to make, like, outdoor skate parks and stuff like that. How so, did you even learn all this? I'm just now thinking, yeah, like, what, what brought you into you this? Into yeah, I mean, you know, we were lucky enough to not try to launch some big business, and so we made tons of mistakes the first six months, eight months, and I bought albums, because I was a photographer. Mm-hmm. Bought albums from every album company. So I bought albums from Miller's, Red Tree, Kiss Books, Renaissance, Queensberry, and I took them all apart. And the ones, companies that I liked certain things from, I went, okay, huh, I wonder why they do that. And so we'd build a book with a feature in it, a structural feature, and then we build one without it. And then we flip through it and you go, oh, that's why Queensberry does this. That makes sense. It supports this or, you know, it helps this aspect. And then I just got dove deeper into just general manufacturing and principles and things like that. And um, like another thing that's very common is there's a glue roller machine that puts out what's called hot animal glue. Uh, vegans will hate that. That's the name, that should be like the name of my punk band. Yeah. <laughs> hot animal glue. Hot animal glue. Um, but it's a hot glue. And the reason it's used in bookbinding a lot is because it's quote unquote reversible, meaning it's hot glue that reactivates when reheated. And so the problem with that is, or the reason that bookbinders typically use it is for a restoration, which is if the book gets really old and needs to be recovered, they can heat the book up with like a, a blow dryer, right? And start to peel off that cover. 
and then put a new cover on it. So it's great for restoration. It's horrible for just something you don't want to have come apart. Right. You know? Um, and so I follow a lot of bookbinding companies and see, you know, what they're doing. And so we don't use any kind of reversible base glues because I'm like, what if the book gets hot? Mm-hmm. Now it's reversing when you don't want it to, you know? We've just thought about a lot of the manufacturing process and then also to, because we don't spend money on ambassadors, we refuse to sponsor any people or workshops or anything like that. We don't spend money on any trade shows. So we're not forking out sixty, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars per booth at Imaging W, you know, all these conferences. Um, we can put that money back into the product. We never run sales. There's no fifty percent off sample sale, there's no, you know, um thirty percent off metal print sale or whatever the heck other people are constantly doing. And so we're not using tactics. You know, we're just saying, if you work with us and you qualify, we're going to give you the best thing you could possibly get for that price. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. And if you ever need anything, I will directly take care of it. And for bigger studios, that's a huge thing. What's the turnaround like on on an an album? 14 business days. Yeah, but people can do a rush order. Very quick, yeah. For uh, seven business days Mm -hmm. for a hundred bucks flat rate. And I guess you're the only one that can say you're American made, huh? (laughs) No. Hand, oh, I guess no, there's, there's a handful. I'm, I'm thinking no. of like a printer that I use. Right, right, right. Yeah. Past, so. I mean, the majority of, of companies are manufactured in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, Bay's in Santa Cruz. That's true. Um, Red Tree's in Kentucky. Kiss Books is in Indiana. Um, Fineo's in New York. You know? So all the big, all the big players um, are U.S. manufactured. It's too expensive to ship. Yeah. It, obviously, it's, labor would be cheaper and stuff to print overseas. But then by the time you ship the book over here, you might as well have built it out here. Yeah. I was just you graphic, and you're just extending your turnaround time too. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean you have your graphies, you have your um, Italy, right? Album Apicas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you run into a problem of okay, let's say you have an issue with a graphy book. Yeah, how long are you gonna wait? <laughs> well, A, how long are you gonna, gonna wait? And B, whereas we can say, okay, well, hey, you know, send us a you know, your client. Um, decided after they got there, we just had this today, somebody got a book and their client goes, oh man, I thought we ordered foil. And then the driver's like, well, here's the form and like, you check no foil. She's like, oh, is there anything that we can do? So she emails me, I say, yeah, I'll send you a label. We're gonna ship it back to us, we're gonna replace the cover and do a new cover with uh, white foil and then ship it back. And that'll cost us the shipping plus, you know, cover materials and labor maybe 80 bucks, you know? Um, and I'm not going to charge that client for that because she buys tons of product and never asks for anything. You can't make the financials work if you want to ship it back to Italy. Yeah. So then they got to make you a whole new book. Well, they're not going to make you a whole new book when you did everything right on your end. And so then you just end up, if she's in that situation, her client's really pushing it, she's either got to charge her client or she's got to eat 450 bucks, yeah. you know, or, or at minimum, you know? What's so. what's changed in this industry since you started working in albums and to where you are now? Is there is there advancements, things that make your work easier? Has it pretty much been the same thing for a long time? <laughs> yeah, bookbinding is a really like, no. old industry. There's new equipment, but the new equipment, the automated equipment, is manufacturing the low quality stuff um, because they're built for the giants, you know. So like the machines that some of the labs have and make books with, even here. Um, Shutterfly just bought like seven of them 
you know, and they're going to start going to direct to consumer. You know, you're seeing Artifact Uprising, you're seeing ZNO, you're seeing a lot of companies go to direct to consumer with this a similar quality to the professional labs. And that's going to be the problem. The problem is going to be, I have a client who, you know, a couple of years ago, I shot their engagement session and showed up to the wedding. They had a 12 by 12 acrylic cover book from Artifact Uprising. And I went, this thing doesn't look too bad, you know? Now I know it's going to fall apart because I know how they make their shit. It's around the same quality, you know, a little bit less, but not much. And you're not really, but like, on the your client end. would never know. I only know because I'm in it. Yeah. You know, I only know because I can tell. But I mean, I have a photo that I'll uh, share with you and you guys will see the name of the company. But the listeners won't. Sorry, guys. We just like, we can do things like it, it rhymes with. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's not what we're about here. But this is a photo uh, that the company sent out in an email to like show quality. Okay. So I want you guys both look at this picture. Okay. Okay. So that is a book block before a cover's been put on it. Mm-hmm. What's that yellow? Is that glue strips? Double-sided tape. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they attach their cover to the book block, double-sided oh, tape. Oh, my God. Now, do you see the name at the top? Yeah. So I, I people are like, well, what's the difference between you and them? I said, well, first things first, we don't use double-sided tape to put our covers on our books. <laughs> yeah. And so because people don't know anything about how the book is made, they just see, well, this one's a pretty cover and that one's a pretty cover. And they all have got kind of a white substrate base. They don't know one's made foam, one's made of paper, and one's made of PVC. So I don't blame anybody for not knowing the difference in quality. For us, because we don't do any of this stuff and we're kind of not exclusively by referral, but we're kind of by referral only, or if I contact you, they just have to get one in their hands. And then once they do, people are like, I mean, you've held them, you know. Um, So that usually sells it for us. You know? Yeah, I've held your books. They're definitely of all that all the albums I've handled. They're the most substantial feeling, sturdy, yep. built well. Uh, the pages are so rigid. Uh, the print quality is great. Like the binding, everything's top notch in the albums. Like they definitely um, the, the standard is much higher than other books I've seen. Yep. And and they're substantial. Like you grab one, it's just heavy as hell. Like did you? Right. Were we coming coming up with ideas last year about what to do with your albums? So like to like show like a stress test kind of example? Like what were we talking about, like throwing oh, them yeah. off a building or something? <laughs> so here's the thing is like, you know, obviously we could stress test our own stuff, but then yeah. the question is, how is that different from your competitors? So I feel like the only thing that we could do that we won't do is like put all five album companies in our in ours in a, in a humid box with yeah. a glass panel and then just watch them all warp one by one and then watch our sit flat. I'll take that one step further. Put them all yeah. under water. Right. <laughs> for like, I well, think here's the be, thing. Wait, why our, haven't you done this? I think that would be an amazing way to uh, show the our difference. Our goal is not to shit on other people as part of our marketing platform. Well, uh, what is your marketing platform then? Because I don't see your marketing, so it's... It's, it's word of mouth. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, the company that I was talking about earlier, that kind of like sleeping giant, they got referred to us by another sleeping giant, you know? Someone who's doing $1.6 million a year. Wow. Um, with like uh, nine associate shooters and a team of about 11, two studios. And I met them through a friend and said, hey, I'd love to send you a book and see what you think of it. If you don't like it, you can get rid of it. No no need to keep it and switch if you're not happy. 
And so they just sent me a design they already had. We printed it, shipped it to them. They got it and went, this is awesome. But, you know, we, we were using a lab. And so here's what we'll do. We'll charge X amount of dollars more for it. Um, and then we'll just put it on a table next to what we also offer. And then if clients upgrade to it, they upgrade to it. And I go, okay, well, that's fair. Like, typically, I wouldn't let somebody do that. But they have such high volume. Um, even, if, even if a small test. percentage of their clients uh, made that upgrade, uh, they would still hit the, our minimums. Well, I'd also, I actually like it as a business owner because you yep. get to see if the consumer can actually oh, spot that difference. So it's good insight for you. Yeah, so four months went by, and once they had our book on the table next to the other one, no one chose the other one. So now they only sell our stuff. Yeah. And then that guy went to some workshop event, met the other guy. And I had asked him on the phone, you know, do you know anyone who you think would be a good fit for us? And he's like, oh, this guy for sure, if you could get him. And I was like, oh, okay. So I reached out to him. We chatted, same thing, sent him a book. And within two months, they ordered like, like an album every week from us, sometimes more. So, because they're same then 90 to 110 weddings, mm-hmm. something like that. So they just have hundreds of albums in rotation. That's good to know that even without the, without knowing all of the details, like what's going on in between the pages and between the covers, what adhesive is being used that people can still, even the consumer who's yeah, looking for those Yeah, if you have to explain things. all that, it's not going to work. Right. Right. The customer needs to be able to pick it up and go, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, that's, I have a quote on our website from JD Land. And I said, what do you think is the big difference between who you used to use and using us? And he goes, Every time a client gets their album and they take it out of the box, they just say, wow, this is an album. Mm-hmm. Great. Perfect. Good enough for me. <laughs> you know, that's what we're going for. Front page of the website with that one. Yep. Yeah. Some people have said they're too heavy. <laughs> like the 12 by 12, like 50 spread book. Yeah. That thing's a beast. You could beat somebody up with that. How much would that weigh yeah. in at? 12? Maybe that could be like a marketing campaign there. It's, like, pretty, it's pretty heavy. Beat somebody up with your house. There's a break in. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it now. There's a break in in your house yeah. and you thwart the uh, robber with Honey, the. Honey, where's album. my baseball bat? I don't yeah. know. Take the album. Yeah, take the wedding album. <laughs> maybe, maybe 17 pounds. That is heavy. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody who was like, Man, I loved your books. I saw them in person, but my friend has a 12 by 12 30 spread. And I just thought these are too heavy. That's fine. Good problem to have. Cool. You know, I said, we could make them lighter, but we'd have to make them out of crappy material. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You're not our client. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, you got to lift. And that's bro. one thing photographers are bad at. They don't have a clear vision. They don't have any kind of core beliefs. So then they never know who, exactly who their client is and who isn't their client. They can't stand behind anything they say because nothing was formulated from a sit down, think about what I really want out of my business perspective and how we're going to be different. And so they just kind of wishy washy. Yeah. 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 Take whatever comes their way. But you have a pretty interesting story, like your your upbringing and like where you came from and where you are now, because you've definitely worked hard for mm-hmm. everything you've had in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what I like about you the most about you, like we had Korean barbecue last time I was out in LA, and uh, and uh, you came in your car, and you have a very uh, pragmatic view of transportation. I do. <laughs> you should tell us about that a little bit, Rob. Rob would like to hear this. Okay. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll share just a little bit of my backstory because I think it's helpful for people. Um, just people get met, wrapped up in like mindsets. But mm-hmm. my thing is you can't, you can never take the victim's mentality of like life is happening to me. 
not if you want to have the life that you want because you got to get out there and make it happen. And I think a lot of people are like, well, it's easy to say for you. Um, so my parents got divorced when I was six. My mom's a meth addict and grew up with her, uh, did drugs from the age of 12 um, until 17, emancipated myself, moved out of my house, lived in my car. And, um, you know, like my dad lives in Arizona. My mom has no teeth and lives in a trailer park. And I had nothing, absolutely nothing. And then I started doing uh, block wall construction and did that for a brief stint uh, before I shattered my arm. And then I couldn't do any kind of heavy construction stuff for a while. So I got into restaurants, was a busser, you know, no college, didn't even graduate high school. I graduated from like an adult education program, um, which is like, they gave me like a diploma slash GED thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, failed out of the graduating class that I was, you know, supposed to be in. Um, and, uh, basically, you know, people hear that and they're like shocked, you know, like what, like you built a business and you didn't even go to college or you're a photographer and you never even went to college for photography. I'm like, college is great for doctors and stuff, but please don't go spend $40,000 on a photography degree. Nope. You know, and go into debt for that. That's crazy. The best mm -hmm. info is online for free. And so I, one thing that my dad told me was just like, don't borrow money. And like, you'll never be in like the worst position. Because even if you're just at even, that's actually a lot better than the majority of people. Because a lot of people are, have X amount of dollars coming in, but they're borrowing more, whether it be on credit cards or signing up for $30,000, $50,000 car loans their debt way outweighs their income, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I, ne I didn't borrow any money. I could have got an apartment, you know, and not lived in my car, but I would have had to go into debt every month, you know, and put, you know, maybe meals or something like that on a credit card. So I just got used to living really cheap. And then when I started to build my business, uh, photo business, uh, back in 2006, 2007, um, I got even like cheaper because the little money I did have now, I had to go out and get this expensive gear. You know, and I rented a lot when I started. That was a big thing for me was just renting. Like I would line up all my shoots into like a day and try to shoot like maybe a senior session in the morning, an engagement session in the afternoon, and like a concert at night. Mm. And, you know, I, I was getting like 75 bucks a shoot, you know, <laughs> it's like super cheap. Um, but like I would, I would try to maximize shoots that required gear that I didn't have in the beginning and then trade with friends and whatever, you know. Uh, but yeah, then as I got older, I just realized like, for me personally, I'm just not a car person, you know, I don't, I'm not like certain cars are cool. You know, see like yeah. an old Mustang or something like that. Someone's really taken care of and put a lot of time and attention to, um, it's like, Oh wow, that's a beautiful car, you know? But for me, it's like, I'm just way more practical. Like, all right, look, if we, you know, take this money and put it towards marketing or if we take this money and get this new piece of equipment or if we, you know, take this money and put it into a 401k or something like that. It's going to be a way better return than if I go buy, you know, mm -hmm. what I'd love to buy, which would be like, you know, a Toyota 4Runner TRD, you know, they're like $65,000, Yeah, you know? And you have, you have kids, right? Nope. No, no kids. Okay. Nope. So, I was yeah. saying if you had kids, you'd probably want to have a safer vehicle then. Like, <laughs> you know I mean, like you'd want to oh, have like sure. I mean, my, bells and whistles. And my wife's got like a nice little Honda CRV. Yeah. But she's the same as, she, you know, I mean, we work well together. She's, we're the same. So she just got to her car because she got hit by a drunk driver. So we had to replace it. Mm -hmm. 
But she was so upset. She's like, man, my car was running so good, and I just really loved it. And uh, she was driving a 2009 Honda CRV with 185,000 miles on it. Everybody else is like, oh, my gosh, that car's about to break down. Like, this car's just getting started. (laughs) My car currently is a 2007 Toyota Yaris with 231,000 miles on it, and it has roll-up windows and manual door locks. So every time I valet, it takes 45 minutes to get my car back from valet because they are used to just walk around hitting the panic button. Yeah. They get my keys out and they go, oh, crap, where did we park this thing? (laughs) 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 So, but not going out and buying a car that even today, to be honest, like I could afford. Yeah. We've been debt free and making good money for a long time. And so um, it's just allowed me so many other freedoms. Um, And I guess the thing is that I've splurged on that maybe other people would splurge on uh, on a car, you know, it's like tattoos and concerts and, you know, stuff like that. So Experience. Yeah, I mean, experience, but I'm like, you know, you buy a $5,000 suit, like eventually you could like gain weight or lose weight or that thing gets torn up. I'm like, I spend five grand on a tattoo. That'll expand with me if I I'm gain just gonna, weight. Right, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man's head gets a little bigger, you know? Yeah. Get those right. jack forms. Dad bod Spider-Man. Dad bod Spider-Man, yeah. Um, I've, uh, I'm working on a full Marvel sleeve. So I have the Spider-Man in this Thor and then a, uh, getting like a Wolverine, Avengers logo, big Doctor Strange thing, Marvel with Thor's hammer inside of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it gives me some insight. I'm a nerd. It makes me think about cool. what areas of my life I could downsize and be more practical. I'm not, I'm, not a, um, I'm not against driving beaters. I've definitely had some beaters in my life, but I'm finally in a place where I, I bought a new vehicle a couple, um, almost, two, almost two years ago. And uh, it felt nice to have all the bells and whistles finally because that's something I've, been, I've never had that in the car. But, sure. but I'm definitely not, I have no problem being in a beater. I had like this 2004 Nissan Sentra five speed that is a piece of crap car, but low mileage on it and got me placed from point A to point B and I didn't care if someone dinged my door. <laughs> oh, that's 100%. The thing I was joking about with a staff member, you know, there's a receptionist and, uh, you know, they get paid just a couple bucks over minimum wage and her husband and her, he's a barber. So he does okay, but not great. He's about a $58,000 Dodge Bighorn. Wow. And The gas, too. I took I took her on a drive. She leased it, and I was like, "You need to return this immediately." Yeah, you know. And so we took we went on a drive. We went picked up lunch for everybody, and I said, "I want you to drive my car." And then she she drove and drove on the way back. And when I got back, I said, "Okay, you've been driving the the truck for like two months. My car's maybe worth like four grand, (laughs) right? Like, are you having a fifty two thousand dollar better experience day to day? Mind you." This was not with cash. This person's going to make tens of thousands in interest mm-hmm. on this vehicle oh, loan. God, the average vehicle the loan is now, maintaining the full coverage insurance for how long? Um, the average vehicle loan is now seven years. And registration? Yep. The yeah. cost of registration on that vehicle? Yeah. That's one thing. So. I, I had to register my, my car at four, almost $400 a month I'm like, or a year. And I'm like, that's new for me. I've never had to pay that much for registration mm-hmm. right. on a vehicle before. I always buy used. And the thing is, like, even when I'm going to see concerts, like we've seen... Imagine Dragons, Lizzo, 311, you know, all these things. Like, and we go to a lot of smaller shows too, but like even a big concert maybe only costs like a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 58 grand for a truck. Like, I'd have to go to a concert every week 
for the next 40 years mm -hmm. before it would cost that. It's funny, like, yeah. I see like the disparity between frugality in your life and yeah. being practical, and then also, yeah. you should buy this luxury boutique album experience. So here's the thing, on the things that matter that are quality, yeah. I do spend money. Good. So okay. like, my tattoo artist is one of the most famous tattoo artists in the world. Yeah. Um, he charges $2,000 a day. My tattoo took two days. It's four grand, you know? And it's just one forearm piece. Mm -hmm. um, I do like uh, a lot of working out at the house. I own the most expensive, highest quality kettlebells that are on the market because I'm like, why would I buy a cheap ass kettlebell? Mm -hmm. You know, like if I'm gonna own this thing and have it and use it every day, I want a good one, you know? So I'd rather have a small amount of stuff that was really high quality than just like tens of thousands of dollars of Ikea furniture, you know? And I think the other thing is that like, I have photo albums that my grandpa had um, that are, have images that are 110 years old. Very few things outside of photo albums will be stored and passed down to the level that my product will be dealt with, right? Like we bought a $1,500 treadmill, you know, like, it's not gonna that thing's going to take a dump down. at a certain point, <laughs> probably in the next few yeah, years, right? Photo albums and and so then we pants. either like what, like get a new treadmill, maybe we'll be able to get that one fixed, but who knows if parts will be available. People spend thousands of dollars on things all the time that A, aren't even built to last, and B, like I'm not handing that treadmill down to anyone. There's no value, there's no intrinsic value in that treadmill outside of whatever. And people are spending four thousand six thousand dollars on a peloton bike mm -hmm. you know and so it's like okay like if if you're gonna get the one thing that really matters you know a family album a wedding album or whatever um that you are gonna keep until you're 60 like you're not gonna have that peloton bike when you're 60 and it's four thousand bucks mm -hmm. you know um then like be smart with your investment you know, spend money on the things that you are going to keep and that are going to last. Yeah. You know, so I'm shit. I might have that kettlebell till I'm 60. Yeah, or your kids will. <laughs> right. I mean, pass them down. you ain't well, going to be breaking it. You right. know, single cast. It's like, yeah. they're beautiful, man. You get three things. things. You get a cast iron skillet that's been seasoned. Cast since iron skillet. Yeah. yeah. A kettlebells and a wedding album. And a wedding album. Yeah. <laughs> cast iron skillet. Everything your grandma hands down. You know, <laughs> I have nice stuff. You know, I have expensive tattoos. I have nice, uh, you know, watches and stuff like that or whatever, but vehicles tend to just be this thing that are so expensive. I mean, depreciating there's a big difference between, uh, you know, an album that a photographer buys from us, you know, big book, like, let's say 800 bucks and a car at 60,000. Yeah. You know, there's a, no, I agree. there's a big gap there, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I think most people are going to spend, uh, I think most people are going to spend six to $800 on dinners and drinks this week. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. I've already spent like 150, 200 bucks. You know, now I pay for some drinks for clients and stuff like that, you know? Um, but no, for me, it's like, what's the ROI? And the ROI of a photo album is, it's hard to calculate, you know, whereas the ROI of this bottle of water, you know, it's like, eh, do I need bottled water? Can I? Kind of Drink it out of the tap. Sixteen you know? dollars worth of water that I paid for earlier actually was twenty-two dollars worth of water. I had. I drink one. Oh, that hurts. The way yeah. to get rich, though, is to is to live simply. You know, like 
if there's a nice breeze outside, but it's getting hot in the house, I'll want to run the air conditioning. My wife will be like, open the window, you know? Yeah. Put a, put a box fan in the window, you know, and just let, let the, cold, let the cool breeze come through, through or something like that, you know? But yeah. being debt-free, we've been debt-free for a decade. And, you know, our cars are paid off. We have no credit card debt. We have no student loan debt. None of that. Um, we did not buy an expensive home. Um, and so we have been able to save and invest on a massive level. And had I not lived my life the way I had lived it, there's no way I would have been able to afford all of the equipment and inventory that it takes to start a manufacturing business. Yeah. You know, uh, that's why there's not a lot of competition. I mean, there's tens of thousands of photographers, if not hundreds of thousands of photographers. And that's relative to the barrier to entry of the cost of equipment. You know, you want one Nuritzer printer, it's $90,000. You need binding equipment. You need, you know, a couple thousand square foot warehouse. You need a staff, you know. I think Brady needs to start a podcast on financial responsibility. <laughs> uh, there's already plenty of people out yeah. there. I'm there a big is. Dave Ramsey guy. Yeah. You know, and some people don't like his methodologies because they're like, well... He tells you to pay your house off early, but he also tells you to invest in the stock market because you get you can average, let's say, 10% or something like that. But the, my interest rate on my house is only 3%. Why would I pay it off early? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. Would you refinance your house and pull out 100000 and put in the stock market? Nope. It's like, no. Well, by your logic, you're only paying 3% on your house and you get 10% because you understand the risk when I say it that way. Yeah. You know? And so finance is behavior. It's not head knowledge. It's like 10% head knowledge, 90% behavior, which is most people know that they shouldn't be racking up their credit card uh, with money they don't have to buy stuff they don't need to mm-hmm. impress people they don't like. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they do it anyway. Yeah, you're using it to finance things that you should be using like a loan for, you know, but people use credit cards that way too. It's well, ter- plus there's a lot of broken terrible. mindsets around stuff, you know. Um, so... I'm not going to say how much business our album company does, but it's Mm -hmm. multi-hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you know. Um, Sometimes we'll do six figures in a month. Uh, So I guess it's just one of these things like you can get really easy into like get a line of credit. That's the smart thing to do when you run a business and other people have their own like methodologies or whatever, you know, And, and even some people say like, Oh, but you could get this or you could get that. I'm like, I don't need it, man. I grew up with nothing. I grew up just riding my skateboard and having fun and that just being enough. The fact that I own a home and my cars are paid for and I have a great life with my wife and a business that I love and customers that are great. Now I need to also like go do all these other things. And people will go, well, people are not going to take you seriously if you pull up to a meeting (laughs) driving X. And I'm like... You don't think people take me seriously when I pull up in my yard? Like, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, That's your excuse care. to go out and buy whatever it is that you want to buy. But even when I was shooting weddings, uh, my average clients were booking me at 5700 By the time everything was said and done, they'd probably spend between 9500 and 11000 And yeah, I was vacuuming out the yards, man, putting a little blue tree thing in there to make the car smell good you get from the gas station. Loading them up in there, and we were going out shooting engagement sessions, mm. you know? That says a lot, man. That and if anyone lot. ever commented on my car, like, 
hey man, I think we're paying you f- three times what this car costs just in our one wedding. Why don't you like uh, get a nicer car? I said, well, if I get a nicer car, I'm gonna have to raise my prices. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, okay, keep the car you got. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd make it sound cool for me. Yeah. You know, that's I think a great point to end this conversation. Yeah, I think that a, awesome. that's the greatest takeaway. Yeah. From, from this. So thanks yeah. for coming out with us today, cool. man. I think get some get some good insights into the, your, your industry and how it intermingles with our with photography as a whole. If somebody yeah. listening happens to think that they're a perfect match for your company, how would yeah. they find you? Uh, blacksmithprintco.com. Um, so we're looking for people who are print-focused, um, you know, ordering 15 albums a year or more. We only sell Square. And our cover options are leather and linen. We have cameos and embossing and a couple other things like that. But we don't do acrylics. We don't do metals. We don't do 11 by 14 or 16 by 20. Um, once again, the more inventory you have, that's carrying costs. That makes the business more expensive to run. And we want to run as lean as possible so that we can put the most quality in while still charging a very, in my opinion, competitive price um, so that people can sell the albums for... Uh, you know, we're in business. They need to sell them for a profit. And so some of the other high-quality companies, their albums are at a price point that's advantageous to making money uh, for a higher-volume studio. Thanks for coming on and yeah. sharing all your knowledge with us. Cool. Awesome, man.